0: And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we have just confessed through song, I pray that it would be the desire of every single person here to say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Take me anywhere that you would have me and use me wherever I am. Father, we rejoice even as we mourn the news that we've just heard as you are taking Andrew and Rose. We we are excited for the opportunity before them. We pray that you would continue to use them, that you would be honored through their life and through their ministry. And Heavenly Father, we pray that that would not just be a desire that we pray for others or a desire that we look forward to in the future, but a desire that we would say, use me here right now. I want to be used for you. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to be salt and to be light in my neighbors, in my neighborhood, with those with whom I have influence. I pray that you would work through each and every one of us. That we would say, here I am, Lord, use me as you would right here, right now. Heavenly Fathers, we turn our attention this morning to this passage of Scripture. We pray that you would be honored in all that is said and done. That you would be lifted up. We pray that your spirit would work through the word of God in each and every one of us. That you would accomplish your purposes. That you would challenge us. That you would change us. That you would mold us into your image. That we would go from this place. Now, we would take action. Pray that you would remove distractions. Help us to focus in what you have for us. Give me boldness and authority to proclaim the Word of God with clarity this morning. That you alone would get the glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to John 15, we're picking up kind of in the middle of where we were last week. Last week, we looked at John 15, verses 1 to 8. The need to abide in Christ. Jesus says, I am the true vine. We looked at what that means. In fact, as we come to John 15, the conversation between Jesus and his disciples has completely shifted. It has shifted both in location and in direction. We find ourselves here in the middle of Jesus' upper room or or what others call his farewell discourse. They're the final, intimate instructions, these final moments between Jesus and his disciples, this this group that has been so close these last several years. The cross, as we come to John fifteen, is mere hours away. In fact, they are right now, as we are in this passage, verses 9 to 17, they are right now walking through the streets of Jerusalem on the way to the Mount of Olives where Jesus will be taken. As I mentioned, as John 14 ends, Jesus and his disciples, they get up, they leave the upper room. Their conversation continues as they work their way through the streets of Jerusalem. And as their location has changed, so has the direction of the conversation. Jesus shifts the conversation from how they will survive in Jesus' absence to now what they should do in Jesus' absence. Last week in John 15, one day, we saw that disciples bring glory to God by bearing much fruit and that disciples bear much fruit by abiding in Christ. We saw that your fruit is Christ's work in you. It is not yours. And this week, as we come to John 15, 9-17, Jesus adds more flesh to the bones of what it means to abide in Christ and to abide in His love. This week, we'll get a more full picture of what it looks like to abide in Christ and more of the benefits Of abiding in Christ. We'll continue this idea of abide. And this morning we will see our action. Our aim. And our assurance. Our action. Our aim. And our assurance. First thing we see here in verse 9. 9 to 10. Is action. John 15. 9 to 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. John 15, 9 here begins with what is frankly a a shocking statement. Don't quickly pass by this verse. Don't miss what Jesus is here saying. In fact, let's just take the first part of that statement. As the Father loved me. Let us take a moment to back up and to remember who it is that is speaking and to meditate on this love. Who who is it that is saying this? As the Father loved me. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Son of God. It is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. God, the Son of God. It's been made abundantly clear all throughout John that Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. He is God. Jesus has regularly equated himself with God. He's gone as far as to tell his disciples that to see him is to see the Father. Jesus is God. And this love between Father and Son is a divine love. It is a love between God. John 1 introduces Jesus as the Word who was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. God is eternal, and Jesus Christ is eternal. So as a love between Father and Son is a divine love, it is also an eternal love. It is a love that has no beginning. It is a love that has no end. And as an eternal love, it is also an unchanging love. The Father does not love the Son less in eternity past than he does now. The Father does not love the Son more post-resurrection than He did before His incarnation. This fact is displayed here in this passage. Notice that it says, the Father loved me. He loved me. Not, the Father loves me. The idea here is not that the Father used to love Jesus, the Son, and no longer does. Rather, it's that the lo- Father's love for the Son is a complete love. It is full, it cannot be added to. There is no more room, no more space to fill. He simply loved. It is complete, it is finished, it is done. I met my wife, Krista, in the summer of 2008. We were both camp, camp counselors at Camp Kobiak. I had just graduated uh, high school and we showed up and the first day there we had this little get together at the camp director's house and we sat around tables and we told about ourselves. And I'll never, the first thing she said to me, as we sat around that table, we, one of the first things we did is told our birthdays. I said, my birthday is March 4th. And she said, do you know that that is the only date that is also a command? It's the first thing she said to me. I'd never heard that in my life to March 4th. There's no other date like that, so I'm unique in that. I'd never heard that before. And from that moment, I knew I wanted to marry her. (laughs) But in reality, when I met her, I was interested in her. Right away. That interest grew into a strong attraction which blossomed into love. And that love has only continued to grow and to adapt. I will always be growing in my love for my wife. I love her more and differently now than I did when we first met sitting around that table. I love her more and differently now even than when we were first married. There will never be a moment in our relationship when my love for my wife will have arrived. When I will have reached the the full amount of my love for her. I will always be growing in my knowledge of her, and I will always be growing in my love for her. But with God, it is not so. The Father's love for the Son is a perfect and complete love. It is not a love that is growing, that is adapting, that is changing. Their relationship does not change or grow. The love between the members of the Godhead is divine, it is eternal, it is unchanging, and it is perfect. We could spend our whole hour marveling at the love of God. But Jesus' next statement takes this amazing truth of the love of God and adds a shocking development. As my Father loved me perfectly, completely, wholly, I also have loved you. I have loved you in this way. And the divine, the eternal, the complete, the unchanging love between Father and Son, I have loved you in this way. The divine love between Father and Son is reciprocated down to us through Jesus. Take a second to pause and to meditate on this truth that Jesus' love for his disciples is as strong, as perfect, and as unending as the inner Trinitarian love between Father and Son. He loves you that much. You cannot earn any more of Jesus' love because he loves you completely. And you will never be loved any less by Jesus because his love is unchanging and everlasting. His love is not based on who you are. It is based on who he is. That is a remarkable statement. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. But notice also that with great love comes great responsibility. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Last week we were reintroduced to the word abide. It means to continue in or to remain, as we saw last week. Continue in or remain. It's interesting, just a few verses ago, as Jesus introduces the promise of the coming Spirit, this helper who will abide in in you, he uses that same word, abide, he will abide, he will stay, he will never leave. To abide it's not something that can come or go, it is something that continues in to remain. And at first as we consider this great love of God and this call to abide in my love, it can seem overwhelming. I mean how how can any disciple abide in such a great love? How can I abide in something that is so undeserved, something that I am so unworthy of, something that I will never measure up to? How can I abide in that? You can't. And that's the point. In fact, it is the nature of this love that frees me to abide in this love. It is not a love that can be earned. And it is not a love that can be lost. It is a complete love based in who God is, not in who I am. It is the very nature of this love that allows me to abide in it. I can abide in the love of Christ not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is and because of what this love is. It is an eternal, unchanging love. So to abide in Christ is not some mystical, warm feeling. Just close your eyes. I am abiding in the love of Christ. It's not just a mystical, warm feeling. It is a real love. And it works its way out into real action. So as the sun's light causes growth on the earth, so the sun, S-O-N, so the sun's love causes action in the disciples. It is natural. So what we see as we continue into verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What does it look like to abide in the love of Jesus? It looks like obedience. Those who are filled with Jesus' love are characterized by Jesus' works. What we see here in verse 10 is not a demand, it's not a threat. Keep my commandments or I won't love you. That's not what we find. Rather, it's a promise. As you abide in my love, you will keep my commandments. It's the same thing that we saw last week in John 15, verses 1 to 8. How do I know that I'm abiding in Jesus, the true vine? I will bear fruit. It is natural. It is what happens. You cannot bear fruit apart from the branch, from from the vine. If you are abiding in the vine, you will bear fruit. So this week, how do I know that I am abiding in the love of Jesus? I will live like Jesus. My obedience does not attract Jesus' love. My obedience displays Jesus' love. And it is important that we understand that this morning. My obedience does not attract the love of Christ. He does not love me because I keep His commandments. My obedience displays Jesus' love for me. His words here are not meant to add a burden of law-keeping to the disciples. Their hearts are already troubled. What he is doing here is he is giving their troubled hearts hope. It is not in you. It is in me. As you come to the end of verse 10, Jesus gives an example of this. Just, in the same way, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. He returns here as an example to his relationship with the Father. As I abide in the love of my Father, so you will abide in my love. And here is the hope for us. It is is Jesus' complete trust in the love of the Father that enabled him to submit to and obey the Father. The Father's perfect love was displayed in the Son's perfect obedience. Likewise, knowing and trusting Jesus and his love should enable his disciples to submit, to obey, and to abide in his love. There's a reason why Jesus assures them of his amazing love before he calls them to abide in it. I cannot abide in something that I am unsure of. Be sure of it and abide in it. Know that I love you and live boldly and submissively in that love. As those who abide in Christ will bear fruit, so those who abide in Jesus' love will obey. Come to verses 11 to 15, then we see aim, the aim. Our aim. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So we come to John 15, here, we find a surprising development. Why is it that Jesus is telling, all, telling them all of this Now? So that they will not fear, but will rejoice. Not only should the disciples not be filled with fear at Jesus' departure, but they will be filled with joy. Truly, there is joy in serving Jesus. It is not just a song that we sing. It is the truth of Scripture. Scripture. As you abide in Jesus' love, obeying his commandments, you will find joy. That's an important truth for us not to miss this morning. True joy is found in Christ. The world often promises joy, does it not? And yet it doesn't deliver. It delivers nothing more than a cheap, fleeting thrill But true joy, lasting joy, is found in Christ alone. And notice also that this joy is not tied to your circumstances, but to your identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It is Christ's joy, and it is in those who are in Christ. Notice that there is here no promise of wealth. There's no promise of health. There's no promise of comfort, no promise of fame, no promise of influence, no promise of freedom. There's no promise of fulfillment, no promise of of any direction. What there is, is a promise of joy. Because joy is not found in comfort, or in fame, or in influence, or in freedom, or in wealth, or in fulfillment. Joy is found in Christ. This is a joy that remains, a joy that is full. The promise is this, your joy will remain as you abide in Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Your joy is not tied to your circumstances. It is tied to who you are in Christ. Abide in him. Abide in his love. And find true, lasting joy. Jesus has already promised them his peace back in John 14, 27. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. In verse 9 of chapter 15 here, he's promised his love. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. And now he also promises them his joy. It becomes clear that these gifts, his peace, his love, and his joy are not independent of Jesus. They come to those who are in Christ. Judas, who walked with Jesus, will never experience the joy of Christ or the peace. But you can in Christ by faith. I also find it fascinating that these three things that Jesus promises his disciples here in this passage are the first three fruits of the Spirit that Paul records for us in Galatians 5.22. Love, love, Joy and peace. Those who are in Christ display these things because those who are in Christ have experienced these things. Love, joy, and peace are ours in Christ. It is important that we understand this this morning. Jesus does not love us because of our circumstances, because of who we are or what we've done. Our joy and our peace are not found in our circumstances. All of these things come back to who you are in Christ. By faith alone. They are ours in Christ. And in fact, this is the direction that Jesus goes next. In verses 12 to 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This love and this joy are yours in me. Abide in my love and display my love. Again here, what we find is a call to action. Love one another. Those who are filled with love Joy and peace will be characterized by love, joy, and peace. Specifically here in John 15, 12, Jesus boils all of these commandments down to a simple phrase, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. We just took several minutes to meditate on the love of Christ for us. Now go and love others in that same way. This is the second time that Jesus has given this commandment to his disciples to love one another. Back in John 13, 34, this is the first commandment that Jesus gave his disciples after Judas left to betray him. John 13, 34 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters, do not miss the importance of this. In Jesus' final hours with his disciples, Jesus stresses the disciples' need to love one another. In his final hours, Think about this. If you knew that you just had four hours to live and you gathered your family, what would you tell them? What would be the things that you would say? We'd probably all say different things, but I can guarantee you this, what we would say would be important. We wouldn't fill that time with fluff. Everything that we would say would be purposeful. It would be lessons that we have learned or things that we have come across. And it would all be important. In Jesus' final hours with his disciples, he stresses their need to love one another. Don't miss that. Jesus does not sit here and unpack for them the doctrines of grace as vitally important as they are. He does not give them a proper theology of missions. Listen, I'm sending you out and this is why. He doesn't dive into a proper eschatology. He doesn't lay the foundation For what the church should look like and what the church should do, and this is how you should run it, and this is how you should set it up. He doesn't go into soteriology or ecclesiology or eschatology. He comforts them and he calls them to abide in him and to love one another. And we can all do that, can we not? We can do that. We can love one another. It's a very practical step. And that is what he leaves them with. Love one another. It's the very first thing he says after Judas leaves. And now it has come up again. Last week in John 15, 1-8, we saw that the secret to success in the Christian life, if you will, is to abide... In Christ it is a macro view to accomplish great things for God we must abide in Christ but this week in John 15 9 to 17 Jesus zooms in what can I do today besides reading my Bible and having an active prayer life what can I do today to abide in the love of Christ you can love one another you must love one another Loving one another is not just a good idea for a Christian to do when they have time or when they feel like it. It is what a Christian's life should be characterized by. Those who have been loved must love. The love that we are called to as believers, again, it's not a shallow, it's not a feelings-based, it's not a puppy love. It is a deep, self-sacrificing love. What Jesus goes on to say here, this is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life, For his friends. This is a love that Jesus models for his own just a few hours from this very moment as he goes to the cross for them. It is the greatest love. Great love does not needlessly sacrifice, but it's always willing to sacrifice. Jesus' complete love as promised in John 15, 9 will be displayed in a beautifully horrifying display of John 15, 13 in just a few hours as he lays down his life for them. His love is the ultimate love. But it's also a picture of what our love for one another must be. Are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? Are you willing to lay down your life for your brother or your sister in Christ? Greater love has no man than this. And to lay down one's life for his friends, are you willing? In our current situation, that question is very much a hypothetical. And it is far too easy for us to justify answering yes in our minds, is it not? Perhaps a better question for us would be, are you willing to take the time to read your Bible today? Are you willing to take the time today to pray for your brother or your sister in Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice time, money, and or energy on them? Because if you aren't loving one another in little ways now, you won't love each other in great ways when the time comes. Great love. Starts with little actions. Just because you're not laying down your life for one another right this moment, because you're not called on, does not mean that you cannot love one another greatly. Great love is willing to go to those lengths, but it doesn't have to go to those lengths. The question is, what are you doing right now? It's easy for us to say, I'm willing to lay down my life for Christ. I love Him that much. I have that great love for Him. But this morning, were you willing to get up 30 minutes extra to read your Bible? This evening, are you willing to sit down with your kids, to take 20 minutes before bed to read the Bible with them? Tomorrow, are you willing... To have that awkward conversation with your coworker when they ask you a question, what do you think about this? It starts in the little things now. It's the same thing with our love for one another. It's easy to say, yes, I would love my brother, sister, in Christ to the point of giving my life for them if it came to that. But how can you say that when you're not even willing to pray for them? When you're not even willing to stop by, when you know that they are going through something to, to mourn with them, when you're not willing to make a meal or to, to do any of a million little things. If you're not doing that now, you won't love them in great ways later. Self-sacrificing love begins at time-sacrificing love. It starts now. It's not something that just appears later. We must love each other in this way now. Don't miss the connection here in John 15 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends. John 15:9 to10 makes it clear that those who abide in Christ's love keep His commandments. Now John 15:14 builds on that and adds that those who keep His commandments are His friends. They are the objects of His love. These are those who are in Christ who abide in Him. Those who are in Christ who are called to action to obey. But note the connection here. Not to obey as a servant, but as a friend. As the best of friend who is willing to lay down his life for you. The distinction that is made here, importantly, is based on knowledge. A servant simply obeys because they are supposed to. Their job is to obey. It is an obedience that is based on law. However, a friend's obedience is based in love. It's not because they have to, it's because they choose to. A true friend's obedience is not based on law, but on love. Or to put it simply, a friend obeys because they choose to obey. Jesus calls us to service, but this call is not a call based on law, but on love. Serve me specifically by loving one another because you know and love me, not because you owe me. important for us to understand this because it reframes the Christian life as a response to God, not as a striving after God, a striving for his pleasure, a striving for his, for some kind of merit from him. So often we think of in terms of what we have to do as Christians rather than in terms of what the privilege that we have as Christians. We tend to think as servants of God and not as friends of God. Brothers and sisters, change your mindset. Thinking this way allows me to love this way. I can love my brother or my sister in Christ that annoys me, even to the extreme level of self-sacrifice because I choose to in service of Christ. Love Jesus by loving one another. Have you ever thought of it that way? As you obey in loving one another, you are loving Christ. You serve Him by loving one another. Love Jesus by loving one another. To come to verses 16 to 17, we see assurance. The action of this passage is to abide in Christ. The aim of this passage is to abide in Christ's love practically today by loving my brothers and sisters in Christ completely. And as we come to verses 16 to 17, we see the assurance of this passage. First thing he says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you lest this way of thinking go to the disciples' head, Jesus reminds them that he chose them. He called them. They live in a day in which, in that time, a student would choose their rabbi. They would go out, they would pick someone, they would attach themselves to him. But they didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose them. He sought them out. It's a reminder. It's a blessing. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It's a blessing. It's it's not a compliment. A compliment would imply merit. Jesus' purpose here is not to imply any merit on the disciples' part, but the perfect, omniscient, omnipotent love on his part. I chose you. How encouraging and yet how humbling! I didn't choose Him, He chose me! I chose you. I know you. I love you. The reason that you are here as my friend is not because of your intellect or because of your spiritual vision. You were dead in your trespasses and sins like everybody else, and yet I chose you. I called you from death to life. Just as you can do nothing without me, you would be nowhere without me. I chose you. Secondly, look what he goes on to say here You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You have been chosen, but you've also been appointed. You've been equipped, you've been sent out to go and to bear fruit. This ties into one of the themes of this chapter. Those who abide in Christ will bear fruit. We saw last week, John 15, 1-8, fruit cannot be manufactured. It's the natural evidence of life in Christ. Andreas Kostenberger notes that this passage implies that the purpose of Christ's choosing people Is not merely that their sins be forgiven and they have eternal life, but also that their lives be fruitful and productive in fulfilling God's purposes. Brothers and sisters, note this and be called to action. Election is not just about salvation, it's about sanctification, it's about service, it's about the glory of God. Your election does not end at your salvation at work in you. You are chosen, you're equipped, you're also heard. You are heard. I chose you, appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that wherever whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give you. Here at the end of verse 16, Jesus stresses their access to God and the power of prayer for those who abide in Christ's love. I think it's important for us to pause here. Don't don't miss the centrality of prayer in Jesus' farewell discourse. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. This is the third time in a chapter and a half that Jesus has mentioned their access to God in Him and the power of their prayer. He mentioned it in John 14, 12 to 14. He mentioned it again in John 15, 7, and here in John 15, 16. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the importance of prayer cannot be overstressed. Because the privilege of prayer and the power of prayer cannot be overstated. At the risk of stating it too simply, if the Holy Spirit is the engine of the church, prayer is the oil. Note how boldly Jesus states this promise. He does not limit or restrain his words. He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Whatever. Those who are chosen in Christ, abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, have access to God and power through prayer. Don't be afraid of praying big prayers in the name of Jesus. Don't be afraid of praying bold prayers in the name of Jesus. You are called. You are equipped. You are given a task to go and to love one another and you are given access to go to the throne. Not in yourself. In Christ alone. These are all the benefits of abiding in Christ. Abide in Christ's love. Love one another and pray bold prayers. All through the book of John, John has been telling us who Jesus is. And now as we come to Jesus' farewell discourse, Jesus is telling us who we are in him. Just in this passage, we see this, that you are loved, that you are equipped, that you are called, that you are sent We see that you have peace, you have joy, you have access, you have power. You have all of these things in Christ. Not with Christ. Not because of Christ. In Christ. So what does this mean for us? These are good things, but what does it mean? Application. Abide, love, and pray. Abide. Abide in Christ. Know what you have in Christ. Know who you are in Christ and live in that reality. Abide in it. Meditate on the love of Christ for you and find hope and find freedom in it. The love of Christ frees you to abide in the love of Christ. It frees you from every need to try to to live up to a standard or to to earn something. Because it's already yours in Christ. Live according to who you are. Abide in that love. Secondly, love. Let that love, who you are, that love that you've experienced in Christ, let it work in you and work from you. As you abide in Christ's love, may it move you to love one another. Love one another completely as you have been loved completely. And finally, pray. Don't neglect the importance of prayer. Jesus clearly here sees its importance and he stresses it. And may we not overlook it. May we be a people who praise. May we pray bold prayers. May we pray big prayers. Because God still answers big prayers. You have access to the God of the universe. Through Christ. In Christ alone. Don't overlook that. Don't neglect that. So as we come to the end of this passage, I would encourage you What does this mean for you? Is it probably true that you already know? you know that God loves you, you know that Christ loves you, you know that you should love one another. The question is, what are you going to do about it? I'd encourage you, write something down. Do something. What can I do? I am going to spend time with my family in prayer this evening. I'm going to call that person I've been meaning to call. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to to do this or to do that. How are you going to abide in the love of Christ, showing it through loving others this week? What big prayers will you pray this week? And as you pray big prayers, rejoice as your big God answers. He hears you, and he's at work. Abide in the love of Christ.